You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! Everybody, welcome to the TNT Review. This is Tim Jasma, and joining me, as always, on the east coast of Maine, we have Your Holiness, the Reverend Tracy, and I saved that one at the end. How you doing? Yeah, yeah, you did. No, I'm doing good, <laughs> really good. Um, yeah, just enjoying the changing of the seasons that is spring here in Maine. So it's been really pretty out. You know, now all the potholes are no longer filled with ice, unfortunately. So I guess <laughs> I get to learn how long it takes them to actually fix the uh, winter potholes. Good luck. Um, if it's anything like uh, Grand Rapids, uh, it will not happen. Oh, there's one that did. But I think it's because uh, one of the um, plows... I think mm. they came out of the driveway wrong and like gouged these trenches well, into the street. So they did repair that. I think they had to, though. But we'll yeah, see yeah. about the others. Yeah, no, yeah. And to be fair, I mean, if it was something serious like that, that, you know, it could like potentially like damage a car, sure they would do that. But, you know, driving a Grand Rapids is just bumpy, bumpy, bumpy. But mm-hmm. uh, we are here today to talk about Ephesus for Family, episode six from season one, which will bring us to the end of season one, both of Ephesus for Family and the TNT review. This episode is called Oh, Holy Moly Night. Yep. And it is the last one. I think you actually just said that. Uh, I really liked this first season. So I'm excited that we got to do this for our first season of the TNT review. I think this was a good way to start us. I love the entire series of F is for family and getting to rewatch things like this and do notes and do this show with you, like really kind of gives me an extra level of appreciation on them. So, and it really did. It was a good first season. So I'm excited to get into this season. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely go into it later when we uh, give the verdict for the season. But this, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we couldn't have asked for anything better because it would um, be weird to have like uh, like some of the like some of the big mouth episodes we didn't exactly um, like. So if we did, did did have that where we're like halfway, like half the episodes, like eh, I didn't like it that much. Who knows? But I definitely loved it. Let's dive into the topics. Yeah. All right. First one here is how a parent can be both rational and irrational when their kid does something really stupid. Uh, this is Frank and Bill's story. Um, and I guess at some point, it was uh, Bill had accidentally um blew up the bully's uh, shack that he played in because the bully had uh, some fireworks on the inside and a spark went off. And um, throughout the episode, uh, Frank is kind of, uh, you know, kind of goofing on his son um, when, when he shouldn't. And I thought it was interesting and realistic. I mean, it made me think of my son, uh, Isaac, my oldest, there was a point where uh, neighbors come knocking on the door one day and like your son was playing with a lighter with his friends. And then, you know, they went away my sons just started weeping and crying my wife ended up believing him i didn't but i thought hey eh? he got caught you know if he sees how serious it is now well you know hopefully he will learn that you know hey if i do it again it'll be a problem he did it again and he got caught red-handed that time oh, and, no. and, and 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 he was a kid i mean nothing I, I bring this up because it was nothing serious whatsoever it's not like nothing burned down or anything like that it was just a simple kid mistake of not thinking about the consequences and you know just being silly but you know it it, it reminded me of that because you know as a parent sometimes parents even well-meaning parents react emotionally they you know it's it's a human trait you're not always going to react logically to every single situation and i thought it was interesting how uh frank ended up treating bill in this what did you think i did think it was funny like you know out in the front yard he says you heard the man it's not the boy's fault 
because I think it caught like some of the the forest back there on fire as well was some of the thing. Like, I don't think it was just the cabin. I think this was a little It was pretty big. Bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, like it wasn't like, you know, the, the fires over that made Portland, Oregon, like toxic, like a year or so ago, it wasn't that level, but it was more than just the cabin. But yeah, like Frank had his back at the front door. And then immediately when he closed it, you know, he starts referring to him as like a pyromaniac, like kind of little, little pepperings throughout the entire uh, show. Yeah. He said, like, uh, Hey, make yourself useful. Go let your brother's cape on fire. <laughs> yes, because that was like a really funny moment, like a quote from Kevin where he goes, now I'm the responsible son and like cracks open a beer and is being a little smug jerk about it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of understand, Frank. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, kind of uh, kind of funny. I, I thought it was funny that he kind of kept busting on him. Like, I don't know how healthy that is to do that. Right. Because it goes back to how sarcastic should you be with your kids? And, you know, how much shit can you give them that it's like teaching a lesson versus when do you hedge into your bullying your child that has legitimately already learned a lesson? And so it, it's kind of it was funny, though, like I didn't really feel like it crossed a line other than, you know, Bill Murphy is kind of an asshole in a sense. But true. And and yeah, I mean, you do got to look at each and every situation uh, on its own in this. And in this case, yeah, it wasn't that big a excuse me it wasn't that big a deal but to your point extended extended uses of this type of sarcasm to a kid um without at the very minimum sitting them down and having a conversation about what sarcasm is uh which i think is important um could could lead to some issues like um yeah younger kids generally don't understand it and talking to them after the fact you know maybe they don't necessarily maybe it doesn't all become crystal clear at that point but at the very least they can tell you you they would be able to tell that you know maybe you're joking sometimes yeah but i I did think it was cool like in that sense of you know he's got his back when it comes to the town but it sounds like he still wants to make sure something like this doesn't (laughs) happen again and he's dealing with it in the most frank word frank way possible frank murphy way possible so that is kind of passively picking (laughs) on your kid to remind them that you fucked up and i'm not gonna let it go just yet because you fucked up Indeed, indeed. And, and and like I said, very much human nature, which is why I appreciated the scene. It's like it's like something like you don't want to do what Frank did, but what Frank did was very much human and and you know done very well. So let's go to the next topic here, and that's how parents will try and force religion on their kids when they don't follow it themselves. One of the uh res- punishments that Bill had is that he had to become an altar boy, and in the car he had that that discussion. Why do I have to go if you're going home and Frank was not able to talk about that. What did you think? Right. I mean, he just said that he had heard all the stories before or gave, he just gave some excuse as to why he doesn't go, but let's be real. He just, he doesn't go because he doesn't want to, he probably just goes on like Easter and Christmas and shit like that. Um, But yeah, like I always thought that was kind of funny. Uh, that little bit of, again, it goes against the mirror neurons, right? And when you keep telling a child to do something differently than you are actually willing to do, it starts affecting them looking to you as someone they're supposed to be mirroring because you're effectively telling them not to mirror you, which is kind of one of those things that you know, I mentioned this is kind of the beginning of Bill and Frank kind of starting to have issues in their relationship. And I think this is one of those things that kind of exacerbates that in a sense, right? Like one of those silly little moments that gives an example of how important mirroring is. And if you want your child to do something, you should probably do it because I don't know, maybe flipping out, getting mad and getting so worked up to the point that he did something he regrets is something that he's maybe mirroring from Frank uh, because he seems to be that angry, yelly person. And that doesn't tend to lead to good decisions, especially when you're a kid and you don't understand long-term consequences. And and as a kid growing up or as an adult, I mean, how many times have you effectively took took advice from somebody who came back with the do as I say, don't, don't do as I do type of situation? You're not going to learn a damn thing. Like, you know, my mother... <laughs> I I don't think she realized how stupid this was. Like one point, one time, you know, in my twenties, I I came in the house and talking the way I did, I I said a swear word. And in all seriousness, she looked at me and goes, you don't swear in my fucking house. Come on. You know, it's like, if you don't want the swearing, you don't swear back. 
<laughs> exactly. And it's funny because, you know, we'll accept the cute end of it of monkey see, monkey do. But then also sometimes I still kind of see it today. And that parenting is do as I say, not as I do. And I just don't think parents seem to be as aware of how conflicting that can be when you really do look into the, some of the studies and the psychology behind like mirror neurons and mirroring and how important that is for child development. Thank like, uh, I do remember this meme at one point that it was this woman, uh, you know, it looked like a mom and a daughter to guess the genders. That's what it looked like they were going for with a book. And then the small child also has a book on their lap. And the caption said something is like, how did you get your child to read and not to be on all the devices? And it's like, well, you know, basically it's the message is, well, I, I read and don't be on the devices. Like if they're doing something, it's actually not intended to be a judgy thought to look at you and make sure that they're not mirroring something from your behavior and starting there. And then if they are acting out and they are legitimately not mirroring something from your behavior, because you've done that due diligence, that shadow work, some might call it to check yourself. Maybe that's a sign that there could be some behavioral issues or they're mirroring it from somebody else. And it might be worth to look at that. So it just goes into, I don't know. I, I just think mirror neurons is fascinating and he is totally doing that contradictory do as I say, not as I do. Indeed. Indeed. Um, which brings us to our next topic here. And that's having to do an activity with a bully and that how, how that can make you change your perspective. Um, because this is Bill's story. When he arrives at the church for alt boy training, he finds out that his bully is the head altar boy. And that, yeah, I mean, I think most people have had situations in school to where you've had a bully and you've had a, a school event that paired you with that bully, even for just one thing and, and, and how, just how utterly difficult that can be. What did you think about? Oh, yes. I mean, I know I talked about it a little bit in my, my verdict notes. I kind of thought this point was interesting because this is kind of the beginning of what is an interesting friendship uh, that grows out of what started as this very much hazing bully relationship. And where Jimmy actually says that he respects him because he respects the hell out of balls, you know, because it took some big balls to, to light up my cabin like that. <clears throat> uh -huh. So it's, it's an interesting turn in kind of what Bill's going through overall, right? He's kind of starting to question the relationship with his dad and that glowing looking up to him. Now he's actually getting those contradictory messages of don't be like me, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, and now possibly this turning over where he's becoming friends with somebody who is a bully. So we get to just a little bit of a teaser of what you'll see in future seasons is, yeah, yeah, they kind of groom a friendship. And this is kind of the beginning of that, even though it doesn't quite like it's not a straight line story. This does kind of kick off some of that storyline. Well, what I liked about it more than anything is that, you know, it did kind of um, show through their interaction just how easy it is to create a picture of somebody, but that picture of somebody is not the reality of who they are. Um, you know, it's, it, it's something that I guess sometimes people should fight through. If you do have, uh, that image of that negative image of somebody, but having said that too, humans are humans. You don't, you're not always going to be friends with every single person, uh, you interact with either. But, you know, I think more than anything, this showed to me the importance of taking a step back and not letting your own misguided perceptions kind of rule, um, you know, your decision-making. Exactly. Like you could take a step back and check your biases and you may still come up with the same result, but maybe that's not like a decent person for you to spend time with or be around. But yeah, like I, that's part of that shadow work stuff that I like so much is if you've got that like really hard tilt against somebody, like it is okay to question that and try mm -hmm. to apply some logic and make sure it's not, you know, being triggered by something completely unrelated that happened to have, have nothing to do with that person or that person just getting off on the wrong foot at some point. Like, cause the thing is, is most people aren't awful assholes. So if you could try to treat people like statistically that they're not an awful asshole, like maybe you won't accidentally be that awful asshole to somebody who's not an awful asshole. Like, if that makes sense, because you could totally, you could justify treating somebody poorly because you've decided they're an awful asshole. Well, but it's, it, it, it's the golden rule. It's the golden rule. Exactly. You know, That's how like, you should be going back to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, I want to make clear, there is no reality to where every person that comes into your life is going to be your best friend. That that, that is not going to happen. But, you know, if you give a person the same respect that you would want in return and still find out after that, that the person is not someone that should be in your life, you've done everything you could. That's, that's, that's what you should do as a human. You gave them enough respect and then found out that, you know, it's oil and water and, and it's okay to step away at that point. What is not okay is just having a predetermined idea of what that person is. And then just letting that be reality because it's not reality. Yep. I've, I've had to break up with a friend before. To me, it's like that kind of along those lines of, I mean, granted it didn't go very well because ironically, Part of the reason I didn't feel our friendship worked is because I tried to be very much more in the logical brain. And this person was very much, they, they vary the emotional brain. And uh, those two brains don't tend to work well together. That's why when somebody's like really in a heightened emotional state, you can look this up if you want. If you try to speak to them with too much logic, they will probably very much reject that logic. Their brain is literally not in the same language center as you. So me being super logical, tried to logically end the friendship with this person and they emotioned all the fuck over me uh, (laughs) about it, which, you know, but to me, I still don't really view them as a, I don't view them as a bad person for that because that was a very legitimate, yeah, like that just kind of hammered in my point. Because I think sometimes when you end those friendships, it can be very telling if, if it's correct. You're not going to blame them for the emotional bukkake that happened. <laughs> no, no, I do not blame them for emotionally reacting on me. Because again, like if that's the problem is that you don't feel like they can tap into that logic to be able to have like the level of friendship that you need, because it goes back into the uh, emotional intelligence stuff and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um it's just not going to necessarily be a good friendship for you, especially when you feel like that they kind of pull you into that hard emotional state. Yeah. You know, if they're always, like, if it seems like they really contribute to be in a heightened sense, like hypervigilant even, um, that's not necessarily good for you. It doesn't make them bad per se. I personally don't know why people would want to be friends with somebody who's always working them up. So kind of in that same sense that I can relate to it on that sense. Like, I also don't want to be friends with somebody who's always getting me into trouble. So oh, yeah. that's where we'll see some interesting stuff with, with Jimmy and things like that too. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Let's go on to the next topic here. And this is a part of the story that I actually really, really liked uh, for some reason. Uh, and that's how a person can overcompensate to try to cover their old responsibilities when they get new responsibilities. Uh, this is Sue's story. Um, in it, I, what I loved about this is that she wanted to try her best to, you know, not only have her new responsibilities at work, but to continue things in the home as well in terms of setting up for um, a Christmas party and whatnot. And she quickly found out through the episode that she just didn't have the time and she was getting frazzled. Now, by the end of the episode, uh, the entire family came together and, and what was the I- what was the ideal that should have happened? They all came together, set it up, and it was done in no time. Um, but I, I really loved the journey to get there because Sue took the world on her shoulder. She um, felt that she had to do this in order to make everybody happy, but she found out that doing that made nobody happy. And um, I think it, it did, it did show the importance of communication. Um, I thought it was a beautiful scene. what do you think? Oh yeah. I thought it was a great example of that is something that I felt that I really feel that couples are still trying to work out, right. Is sharing those responsibilities. I know, I think this episode is going to come out after our friends talking nerdy episode where we're talking about spring cleaning actually. So um, yeah, like I think it took a while with women stepping into the workplace because they were traditionally the one that worked their job was being the homemaker and that is a job and that deserves the respect of being recognized as the job that it is. Something that really solidified that for me was basically stepping into the homemaker role uh, a little bit more so with the pandemic and being home more because, well, I had to stop buying some of the conveniently made food because it was much more expensive than say getting a big bag of flour and making bread and making our own waffles and pancakes. Like I could make a lot of things for cheaper. And so it's interesting to watch it play out. You're seeing that stress of like, wait a second. No, you can't still do all of the homemaking stuff and do the work thing. Like you have to start sharing stuff and become a team as a family, really. That's where I'm a big fan of like those chore charts and things, right? So this is early on though, right? Cause we're in the seventies. So this whole thing of both people working 
remember only men in prison, uh, their wives are the only ones that have a job, right? Like this is still kind of that common mentality. Like she's just started working. So realizing that she can't do it all alone and some of the home tasks need to become family and more convenient, like the frozen dinners, right? Wasn't probably necessarily cheaper, but since Sue is making money now, they can probably afford slightly more convenient things. So it's getting that trade off and you can't, you know, necessarily go right into, well, we're going to, you know, get a maid, for example, or a house cleaner, like somebody to come in. They don't think they are at that point, right? Because they're not wealthy, wealthy, but they're now two income households. So it's like, it's got to stretch somewhere. So I did, I do love that kind of message kind of playing out though, that it does take kind of your tribe, your mm-hmm. home, like you all pitch in. That's why it's good for kids to have chores too. They feel involved in their house. Yeah. And I think most importantly, it's, it's best when it's done equitably. Um, yeah. When you don't have one person that is primarily responsible for something, um, you know, like I, I found in my marriage, I ended up primarily being responsible for the dishes and they ended up not getting done a lot because of that. Um, you know, thankfully the kids grew up to the point to where they could start doing them. So thank you kids. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it equitable, you have to, you have to talk to, to, you know, if you are living with another human being, you have to talk to them about what is going to make it work to where you can both cohabitate uh, in, in the same space. Um, you know, because as this episode episode showed with Sue, when you take the world upon your shoulders, it's, it's, it's going to lead to disaster at some point, if not today, if not tomorrow, you will burn out. Yep. It's not sustainable. Indeed. All right. The next topic here, how there are times when the children of the owner of a business were abused their, will abuse their power. This is a callback um, to uh, episode one. Um, the electronics store is back. As you mentioned, uh, Kevin is currently selling Christmas trees and um, had another, in, another uh, negative interaction with the, with the son of, of the place told him he couldn't, uh, he told Kevin he couldn't leave until he sold every single Christmas tree. And this reminded me of when I worked at uh, a music store in Grand Rapids, Believe in Music. And um, it was a popular enough music store that um, in, in the local area that, that people kind of knew about it, but um, the owners were just complete douchebag asshole people. And like, I remember one time, like, um, like if, if there were, if uh, music companies uh, would send in routinely like new albums, uh, so we would put it on the loudspeaker and listen to it. And uh, they released uh, the, they sent us the new Smashing Pumpkins album at the time in the nineties. And I, and, you know, you had a chance to say, Hey, when, you know, when the new albums come in, you can take this one home. And I put my name on that, but the owner, the owner's son was like, I want it. And didn't even say nothing. Just took it and walked off. Like it's just a complete asshole. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Um, but yeah, like I do love, this is like I had mentioned, I love the way that they built this world and this, but this being the last episode of the first season, I, I like that they managed to call back to this. Mm-hmm. Cause like I've, I did mention throughout the series, you're going to interact some with these characters. And yeah, it's just more that this guy's a douchebag. Uh, dad actually does not step in and fix it. Like we experienced with the TV situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's just kind of a shitty person. And even like him kind of constantly seeming to hit on the girl that works there. The one that asked him like, did a bum shit in your mouth? Like from episode one, uh, talking about like some kind of, he's got to go like just making up weird fucking lies, like about going and getting his penis measured so that uh, Guinness book of world records could confirm like, something and i loved her like making fun of him it's like oh world's largest like world's largest asshole has world's smallest dick or something like that (laughs) (laughs) like so very much not pulling any punches this guy's an asshole yeah so yeah he tells kevin's like no no no, you don't get paid i i wasn't sure about the can't leave but he said he wouldn't get paid until all of them are gone and since this is sounding like it's like right at christmas eve or something um, it would imply that, yeah, you don't get to leave today until all of these are gone because there's no way he's going to get paid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, ultimately, I think it was interesting, too, because of the time, you know, in a way it was it was showing how 
different the 80s were going to be if that makes sense because the son you know a younger guy you know would by the time the 80s come the 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 son of the electronics store owner but by the by the time the 80s come he's going to be an adult himself and look what happened in the 80s you know in terms of how business people were um allowed to you know greed is good the era of wall street and all the nonsense that happened in that era that led to where we're at today so nice little nice little snapshot of what life was like in the seventies dealing with that, but also kind of a nice foreshadowing of the future as well. And also some of the workers' rights stuff, right? Because a lot of changes have happened since the seventies, like that would not fly these days to not get paid until all of something is sold. I just really don't see that. Um, I think that would leave someone quite liable with what like workers' rights we do have and things like that. It's funny because Bill actually gets into a little bit similar of a situation later. Uh, he picks up a paper route. So I think it's funny that this happens kind of twice where both kids kind of get the, oh, you thought you were getting paid. And then it gets explained like in the middle of already accepting a gig or something. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, and then, like I said, I just I love that they called back to this these passive background characters of this world they've managed to already immerse you in. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, like the Simpsons, like South park, the more you do that, the more rich stories you can tell. All right. The next topic here, uh, this shouldn't be a long one, but it's how silly communion really is. Uh, when Bill is at the church, um, you know, he's, uh, with, with Jimmy kind of, uh, having a little fun with the communion wine and the communion wafers. And, even as a kid myself, when um, I did go to church and have to uh, sit through that, it's just like, you know, you see how silly this really is, you know, especially like when the times when I would go with like my aunt to uh, mass and to see what the Catholics, uh, you know, have to do like each and every mass or something like that. But uh, what have been your experiences with communion? Well, since uh, my mother likes to pretend that she raised us in a Catholic church, um, I do have some experience with communion, but it was funny because like I was really only in the Catholic church when I was a small child. Like, so I vaguely remember doing it. Um, I don't ever remember ever thinking that it was really the body of Christ or that it was really the blood of Christ. And it's probably just because I was a little young and they didn't really start doing some of that, what they call it, transmutation, uh, transmunion, or there's a term for it that basically once the crackers and juice or wine, depending on where you're at, once those have been blessed, that it is like the flesh of Christ and the blood of Christ. So we didn't get into that, like at that point. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I struggle with calling anything like of like kind of the rituals silly though. Uh, and that's just me. I, I don't think it's bad necessarily that you did or that anybody, cause I do understand like viewing it as silly, but it, it's well, it, but, yeah, it, it's, it's hard, right? Because it's just, it's really, ultimately it's representative and it is supposed to be a ritual to remind you of what you believe Jesus did for you, right? Like that's the whole point of it. And I, I don't know about the actually believing that it is turned into flesh part. That's definitely something that loses me, but I really do love and I appreciate any ritual that helps you to encourage you be your best self. And there's a lot to be said about like how meditative, like it goes back to if you do altar work and like, you know, light incense and meditate in the morning, that's also very good for you. So if it's something that you're doing and it's good for you, cool. I, but yeah, as far as like the belief of it actually being flesh and blood, that does seem to be on the, the end of the spectrum of that where you lose me. Uh, but I can respect the ritual. There we go. The ritual kind of thing of it. I like. Yeah, I mean, my reaction, of course, is is uh, admittedly jaded. Like, I'm, I, I, I make no qualms about it. I am an atheist myself, but I don't have a problem with religious people per se. But um, the problems I come is when Christians act more like Jerry Falwell and less like Mister Rogers. Oh yeah, like to me, there's there's other things that I will straight say, like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> Um, you know, for example, Christians that quote eye for an eye, and I want to emphasize Christians just to kind of side tangent, just to give an example of what I, what I would view as like kind of well, that's dumb. Um, because the whole quote Jesus was saying, like, hey, you have heard of eye for an eye, I say nay. 
And he goes into the whole spiel about if someone strikes you on the cheek, you should turn the other. If someone takes your jacket, like the, yeah. Like, so really it's funny because Christians will quote eye for an eye, like while saying like, this is like why you should be punished because eye for an eye. And I was like, but wait, you know what Jesus said about that, right? He said that we shouldn't be thinking that way anymore. So, but at least this isn't like, to me, if I'm going to say that something is kind of silly or dumb it's stuff like that but yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. so i guess it just depends like anything your attitude behind the ritual i i don't know how much i can get behind supporters like yes believe that this was turned into flesh in your mouth but i i can't that one can't yeah, that far with it because then i mean if you think about it i mean it's like that old sam Kennison bit about you know like jesus is the only person that rose from the dead and people weren't like oh my god the dead have risen run you know? Well, you know, they didn't have zombie movies to teach them to be scared of zombies back then. Maybe it would have just been seen as a blessing. I mean, I don't know if you believe in like the parts that got cut out of like the supposed stories out there about baby Jesus. He brought a kid back to life just to say that he didn't push him off a roof. Yeah. I'll have to find that story. I think that's worthy of looking up later, but there's totally, I don't remember if it's Apocrypha. We learned about it like briefly in uh, my Christian university times, but mm. it's not included in the traditional Bible or the the Catholic version with the the extra little middle part. But so I think that might, I don't know, I might be not remembering the right term. Apocrypha is either the one that is in the Jewish Bible or it's the entire like early life that didn't make it. No, the Apocrypha um, is uh, books that were written in the New Testament era um, that were written along this uh, around the same time as the books that are in there now. But to your point, did not make it. Um, you know, the the um, Jewish uh, the Torah, I guess, does have extra stuff too that isn't in the Christian Bible as well. But the Apocrypha does refer uh, to the latest stuff. So you know, I can thank my dad for that useless re- religious knowledge right there. Yeah, <laughs> it's one good can, thing he did. <laughs> I can thank Texas education that I don't remember what they taught me in college, but no, it's just, it's just been years and I haven't applied it. I can't really blame them for that. Just, just yeah. funny. haha. But yeah, like I, I just remembered at one point we had talked about like that there was some stuff like early. I was like, Oh, so that wasn't the first miracle. I'm confused now. <laughs> yeah. What's a miracle? Yeah. Oh. All right. Yeah. Let's move on to the next topic here. And that's how the idea of what a family should look like makes you miss what you actually have. This is uh, in regards to the Murphy family montage when Oh Holy Night is playing. And I thought it was beautiful because it showed that society's ideals cause a lot of unneeded stress. You know, the idea of, you know, I must have what my neighbors have for me to be considered a success and how a lot of people, you know, work themselves to the bone and then find out at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You know? Yeah. And then really realistically, those families do have their own issues too. So that's something that's not being considered in montage mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're kind of going past and you think you're seeing like all the examples of things that you want and you don't have. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, I, I did think that scene was also just kind of funny. Um, I like that they kind of did a good job of dipping into kind of some of these serious kind of dealing he's feeling kind of depressed i think honestly i mean he's sitting in his car he's singing one of the most somber of the christmas time songs which is oh holy night that's actually like a song that i have i love that song for some reason um but yeah and then i thought it was great how they took him out of that serious moment by you know having the god i forgot his name but it's the little person that ends up like (laughs) on the roof of his car (laughs) like can you stop fucking on the hood of my car because you know vic's having an orgy next door or something and he didn't notice because right he's going he's focusing on all the montage of these families and the way he thinks and that he wants his to look tonight when he gets home pulls up and there's basically Vic having a drug addled orgy next door. So, you know, it goes back to maybe there's some reasons that Frank is not happy that Vic is his neighbor, <laughs> but yeah. there are some funny quotes from that. I think his name's speedball. Um, isn't oh, that what he calls him? I wrote it down somewhere. Um, I, I think ball, ski oh, ball, ski ball. Okay. So ski ball, because he, uh, Frank was asking who's going to, uh, pay for the you know elf-sized ass dent on his car or something like that because speedball wound up on his car with like another with a lady or something but uh yeah so i thought that was a really cool scene i you know he's coming into terms with the strike was going to happen and now he's like really worried that christmas isn't going to happen um because yeah that's like a real tough thing i mean to think about that to learn that your company is going to go on strike which is going to affect you financially 
right before a financially heavy time of year. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, there's a reason I'm missing hair, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've lived that. All right, let's move so, on. Yeah. yeah, let's move on to the next one here. And that's how fathers can be inconsiderate of their daughter's emotions. And this is in regards to Frank belittling Maureen uh, when Maureen is upset about their dog missing. And, you know, Frank uh, at one point told her that the dog was lucky for potentially being dead, but it, yeah, he shouldn't have said that. <laughs> oh, it, yeah. I mean, that goes into the sarcasm thing, right? Like, that's yeah. newer knowledge that we now, like, know that that level of sarcasm, like, kids don't get it. And so you can kind of understand nowadays how it's kind of fucked up. The dog's lucky for being dead. Well, but hmm. the child doesn't understand sarcasm. So they're trying to figure out what you mean by that without being able to take sarcasm into into effect there. But, yeah, like, it was, he's making... He's deflecting with humor, I honestly think, in that moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, Frank has a very dark sense of humor. That's been pretty clear already. Um, so I think he's trying to deflect with kind of this dark, sarcastic humor in front of Maureen. And you just kind of see that that panic, like that that not knowing quite how to translate that, like on Maureen. I felt that that set that way in the room whenever he did that. And then uh, Sue, I think, pretty much snapped over him pretty quick like to, you know, signify that, no, 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 that's not okay that you said that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I guess I shouldn't signal uh, out Maureen specifically because, you know, she's a girl and whatnot. He should, you know, if, if he had had the same response to Bill, it would have been just as long, but, you know, uh, it, it did show that, you know, a lot of times parents will, uh, again, I've said it over and over when it comes to Frank, um, they will react and, you know, they're reacting in an emotional way isn't always good. And I think, you know, I, I liked how they showed it. And I think more than anything too, it showed the importance of um, a parent taking the time to recognize that. Exactly. Yep. All right. The next topic here, how some parents enable their kids being assholes. We're talking about Jimmy's father here. Um, You know, our last episode of TNT kind of uh, touched upon it to where uh, we find out Jimmy's father is the janitor at the school and was kind of egging on the situation. But um, there are definitely parents out there that think their kids are absolute angels. They can do no wrong and will um, do exactly what Jimmy's father has done. What did you think about Oh, well, I mean, it also goes into, we could probably easily make an assumption of some intergenerational struggles or trauma or possibly abuse in this situation that, you know, and I'm not saying that that excuses Jimmy's dad for not being able to get his stuff together, but I also have been open about having mixed feelings on that because we don't necessarily even today live in a place where mental health, mental help is something that's really easy to come by. We're not definitely not in the seventies. They weren't teaching mental hygiene. Mm -hmm. That's like kind of a newer phrase that we're teaching that there's mental hygiene that is important as well. So, I mean, to me, it kind of makes sense that that Jimmy's dad is kind of a shitheel for lack of a better term, because there are also those that, you know, there's they're not necessarily mistreating their child like there's the whole spoiled brat thing that i feel like like is a totally different level of it but at least this one kind of makes sense like if in that sense given that the the dad doesn't act like he's really been treated maybe the best through his raising too it kind of is trickling downwards whereas you know you get the rich parents that have like a lot of access to things and sometimes you get a kid that acts just like jimmy but didn't actually come from necessarily the same raising that jimmy comes from yeah it reminds me of uh when i worked at best buy and there was this kid that was caught in the bathroom with a video game outside of the security case and um because no store employee saw the kid take the game out of that case. The mother yelled and screamed and insisted. We apologize to her kid for calling him a thief. And like how, like, like it boggles my mind that some parents will do mental Olympics to that level to try and pretend that their kid didn't do something stupid. You know, like I, you know, I think back when I was four and I lived next door to a convenience store, I was four. So I didn't do this often. And I learned why because of this, but I took some money out of my mother's purse and went next door and bought some candy. But 
I was four and um, a parent is going to notice when a four-year-old's not in the house. So she knew where to find me. And I learned the hard way not to steal from mom. (laughs) Oh, exactly. I mean, I actually had it play out small town justice. Like I had shoplifted, like legit shoplifted. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, they didn't end up calling the police on me or anything. It just wound up that, you know, I worked in that shop for the summer Um, I was, it was a peer pressure thing, like Mm -hmm. type situation. I was kind of bullied into stealing. So that was kind of a weird thing. Like when you become a bully with a bully, sometimes it's just a fancy way of continuing to bully you in a slightly different way, which was my experience. Um, I did later get an apology from that bully, like through Facebook, which was kind of funny, like long time ago, but it was like a handful of years into Facebook being a thing. They found me and like apologized to me. But yeah, um, so I've done like the the bad influence of a, a shoplifted. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did also get kind of taught that that wasn't good. But I didn't like do it because my parents did it though, right? Like, so that's another example of it's not always like a trickle down from the parents, but I do kind of suspect that in Jimmy's case that yes, this is like some trickle down. This is some intergenerational stuff playing out. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Last topic here. And that's how gullible the general public is for continually believing corporations when their companies are on strike. Uh, This is in reference to the owner of Mohican Airways giving the sob story that he would just love to keep the business open if if those conniving workers weren't causing the problem. And it's, it's, it may, it's, hit extra hard too because of what we're facing on the news today you know not just with labor issues but with a lot of stuff like misinformation science politics and all that stuff you know it's just like you see what the truth is and you see a lot of people actively trying to actively trying to convince the general public that what they're seeing is not true and it's succeeding that that is scary to see now what did you think of that particular scene so <sighs> I got a <laughs> little lost. Yeah, I mean, so I'm sorry. We're ta- we are talking about the whole corporation thing, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I, that was the thing where I always felt like maybe I didn't finish watching all the way through to the end before we started recording. But yeah, it's interesting how that whole thing kind of wound up playing out um, with the strike and everything. But this is the one where at the end of it, he makes comments on the news. Yes. Okay, so yeah, this is the one where Frank finds out right at the very end that he's fired. He's fired. He does not have a job. And so, like, yeah, like that goes into even more gut wrenching than the first time he was heading home, right? Because he basically, his fears played out in an even shorter time frame than he thought that they would in that sense. But yeah, like they just couldn't handle, like that. By the way, and I'll go into it more, but there's something around this situation that kind of was a negative for me, which is, I guess, where I'm like struggling to talk about this topic. Because to me, the whole idea that the pen was like the thing that they fought over is the weirdest, like at the first little interjection of this. And then, you know, he, he goes back because he has that montage and then he turns around, and ends up going back to this situation where he ends up saying things on news, embarrassing his boss, and then, you know, getting that fired like the the stuff with pogo which does kind of play out funny into the next season like what he does with the the keys and locking him in the car oh boy (laughs) (laughs) so um anywho yeah like but there is that backhandedness and i don't know if it's as bad or as blatantly Mm. bad i mean uh, well, I mean, think about—I mean, think about something as simple as benign, as benign as sports. I mean, when when you have sports leagues that that do come to the point where they're on strike, what you will commonly see uh, are the owners who are billionaires coming out and talking about how the selfish players want more money, but they just simply can't afford it. Yet, if you do a, just the most cursory bit of digging, you're finding out that these massive stadiums that the NFL and baseball players 
Bears owner, for the most part, being financed by, you know, local city or state governments that are not paying a dime, but getting all the benefits uh, from there. It's it's a distraction what they're doing there. And, and people fall for it each and every time because, you know, the, the owners are, are just come out and they, they just come out and say, it's the players that are preventing you from getting the sport that you want. And in the case of the episode here, it's it's those those greedy airport workers that are preventing you from getting home to your family this Christmas when, in fact, it's the owner being an asshole. Now, to your point with the pen. I get that. I mean, that was more like a sitcom type of type of trope right. there. I mean, obviously he was the point was he was looking for anything to not sign that deal, but you know, they didn't have to go the pen route, but it it is just frustrating to continually see year after year evidence of the rich and powerful continually trying to you know, misinform the public and it working. Yeah. And I guess like the thing that I was like a little bit more leaning to is like, I don't know if it would play out the same way is the ability to fire Frank immediately after like that, especially with it being on public news that he's the one that kind of bridged that and fixed the situation um, Mm -hmm. to where they are now going to get to go and profit. And I think nowadays it would be easier to get a lawyer to take that case with such a public display of helping. So I guess that's what I was saying, that I do see that as something very realistic that could have happened back in the 70s. So just almost micro talk about that one spot. I think they did that really well. Um, Mm. But the thing leading up to that, like it it makes me struggle with the whole situation because I was like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) Well, we are at the end here. Let's talk about verdict. Um, What is your verdict? The good, the bad, how did you get there? Oh, yeah. So I really, one thing that I thought was funny, like just to kind of go into some of those moments and quotes that I I really liked about this. I loved Frank's rant about the accident where he obviously confessed to a hit and run situation like uh-huh. that just like flew off the tongue too far um there was a kevin moment proudly proclaiming he's now the good kid and cracks open a beer while telling them to deal with it <laughs> and then i loved that picking back up after the intro theme where kevin refers to himself as the responsible kid before cursing and saying he's an hour late um <laughs> There is also, yeah, there's another good quote from Kenny. These are the the boys, the two boys that are obviously homeless from this situation where Maureen is spreading because she's still trying to find Major, the dog who's ran away, asking, where would you be if you were outside in the two days with no food? And Kenny says, I've been outside for two days with no food. I'm going home. And he like steps into a broken dryer that's just out there in the woods. (laughs) And I also really love there is this really silly throwaway joke moment um, where they're talking, they're, they're showing up at the union meeting and uh, one of the, the, the driver, no, it was the, oh, the mob boss guy, right? Wasn't he the one that said, I wanted to be in Gary by midnight? I forget who said yeah. it, but somebody says, I want to be in Gary by midnight. And then uh, Mr. Dunbarton says, I want to be in Brandy by midnight. And Brandy pops up and goes, I'm Brandy. And then the driver, that's who popped up and says, and I'm Gary. <laughs> I had that in my notes too. Yeah, that was a funny. Yeah, that was a really good funny moment. But yeah, um, I like Frank's constant comments to Bill about anything to do with the fires. I felt like that was very realistic in parenting, mostly because I felt like that is something that still kind of persists. It's something that I know I dealt with, like just the dumbest shit that accidentally can turn into bullying mm-hmm. your own child over what was a mistake, right? Because your child's probably just wanting to make sure that they can be forgiven by you and looking for that secure place in a parent, which they, you know, you would hope they would find, but sometimes, you know, this is what happens. Um, I thought telling him not to touch the cigarette lighter in the car or making comments about candles when he took him to church. Like I said, that weird bullying style of parents that parenting that I recall. Um, I love that you're already getting the idea of Gooper of Goomer's creepiness, right? Because he's standing outside the window, just watching Sue decorate and like makes a comment like in over your head. Or something like that. So they're starting to pepper in that he's kind of this creepy neighbor that people just seem to be fine to ignore. Mm-hmm. What's kind of alarming behavior, right? Because he's already talked about like, I look into your house every day and I've never seen a color set. That was in, I think, the first episode, right? The color yep. TV episode. So they did a really good, I'm just realizing they did a great job doing callbacks to the first episode with the wrap of this. So extra shout out for that. Um, 
the beginning of Bill and Jimmy's complicated friendship. I already kind of went into that earlier, but that whole idea of how that bully relationship can ebb and flow. And that can either be good for them or you and or you, or it can be bad for you. Um, usually the bully isn't, I don't think being a friend with you is bad for the bully, just in the, other than the sense that it enables their shitty behavior. But, uh, yeah. So I thought that was interesting to kind of see at the end of the season that they're opening this kind of, uh, interesting different ways of interacting with Jimmy with him. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I loved this one quote that is something that I feel like parenting, it's still just enmeshed in that today. From Sue, we have to put on a brave face for the kids. Um, this, like I said, it's a mentality I still I feel like exists a lot today, and I personally believe it's leading to more problems than solutions. You know, it's not it's not super uncommon to know now that anxiety in children has gone up. Um, but maybe kids' anxiety might be exacerbated by feeling as if secrets are being kept from them. And avoiding teaching how to handle money and finances in situations is like ugh, like one of my least favorite trends that I see. Um, you know, so uh, while I don't think you should be stressing out to your kids about every financial situation, but that whole concept, right? Like, and we get to watch this play out um, for Christmas and the foreseeable because, you know, we know that Frank has just lost his job. Mm-hmm. And I think she actually said this before Frank lost his job, because this was after he went home from the strike being called, not from the news thing, because he came back, had this conversation with Sue being stressed out and everything. Um, But yeah, so I I just think it's interesting that they're showing that seems super common back then. So way to go with the realism there. And we get to see how that's going to play out. I think that's actually kind of interesting because they're sort of teasing what the next season is going to look like. Right. We're going to see what it looks like for them to put on a brave face for these kids. Well, speaking of the season, um, I, you know, I, for this verdict for the entire season, what do you give it? Um, for the, uh, for the episode or for the season? For the season. For the season, I definitely give it a yay. I can't think of a single one. Um, to take back to something we referenced with Big Mouth, I know for a fact there have been episodes in a season that I went, you could skip this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, you're not going to miss anything vital. There isn't any message in there that's like, oh my God, you need to watch this. Um, I, I just didn't have that with any of these episodes. It goes back into, they brought you into a very immersive world immediately. Like we felt like we knew people and that takes very good writing talent to do that. So overall, I give it a yay for the series. Perfect. Perfect. Well, let's go into my verdict here. Um, I thought how the town handled the bill situation I thought that was spot on for the seventies. Like if it happened today, Bill would have been in juvie. Let's be honest here. But um, for the seventies being what it was, even, even when I was a kid in the eighties, like if a kid had done something like this, I think depending on the severity of it, I think it would have uh, been similar. And I think, and I think too, in a lot of ways for situations like that, it would be nice if we could go back to that. Cause um, I forgot if it was like a last week tonight or something like that, where they talked about like police and schools and how, how, you know, when you have police in schools are not, and they're not trained to deal with kids per se, they're going to look at stuff like, no, it was an Adam ruins everything episode and, and how, you know, essentially more and more normal kid behavior is being treated as if it's criminal behavior in schools are, I mean, there's, there's a phrase school to prison pipeline because of how, you know, there's an unnecessary, you know, you know, relationship between uh, those two organizations and whatnot. But overall, I liked how they did it on the episode. Um, I thought they had a little uh, segment on the TV where they talked about where they brought up Bing Crosby. And um, in that particular instance, Bing was uh, smacking his kids around. Now, for folks that are not aware, Bing Crosby did that in real life. Um, you know, he, 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 he abused his kids and he was very open about it. He thought what he was doing was normal, but it wasn't. And, um, it's like, that didn't sit well with me. Um, it's like, I'm not going to criticize anybody, I guess, for laughing at that particular joke, but it was just like, you know, that's, that's one Avenue you didn't need to go. Um, you didn't need to go down. 
Yeah. And I, okay. So see, I didn't know that, but I kind of figured that's what they were getting at. And what's funny is I didn't take that as a joke. I took Mm. that as them really giving a clue in and like trying to touch on something that was very obvious. Mm. Right. Because he was hitting his kids. His kids are saying, Oh, stop that. Like, I actually didn't take that as something to be laughed at. So that might be interesting for anybody who did. Um, but it just seemed like it was a little bit more geared towards like, yeah, this is how obvious it was. And and real quick, I wanted to throw this in there because I realized I didn't go into it in the detail that I kind of wanted to with the pen situation. And sure. I think you had brought this up too, but it seemed like they could have ended up with the same fight playing out, but being triggered by a much more realistic situation. Like for example, her not having a seat at the table but I think you and I felt the same. It felt too for like that's the first time I felt like something was forced and kind of dumb. Yeah. Um. It felt like a, like it didn't make any sense. Like why would he have shown up if he was looking for an excuse not to sign it? Why would that have been the trigger? Like was it planned? It just it didn't make sense to me. So for it to have naturally been a refusal to sign it based on ego, it just seems like there would have been more realistic ways to do that. So anywho, like overall, I still give it an entire yay. But yeah, yeah there's well, like anything out. Yeah, like anything, there's pros and cons, you know. Yeah. Um, next note here, I loved excuse me, what they did with bullies overall this season. Um, they didn't go the the traditional route, I guess you would normally see in shows like this of just making them characters. The bullies were very much uh, just real uh, and and felt real. Um, some of the lines I liked, uh, the owner of the airline, and it's a gross line, but how he delivers it was just funny. And it's, you think I fuck someone as old as my daughter? <laughs> you know, I just, just, that was just like, ew, but it, it was a great line. Right. Like, oh my God, it was, it was so funny, but at the same time, it's like you, I was actually, I don't know. I I have such mixed feelings when there is a significant age difference. Um, And to me, like, it's kind of a funny way of pointing that out. Uh, And I I just, you know, I, I, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) to me, it's like, I have such mixed feelings because of some of my own experience in my past. Right. Like, so I, I have to realize that I think of this with a grain of my experience. Right. So to me, it was a successful way to joke about something that I feel like was kind of like, yeah, like maybe it is kind of gross to you know fuck someone younger than your own offspring like maybe there's just something like yeah not so great about that yeah i mean a general rule i think most people should have would be yeah if they went to school with their kids maybe they're off the dating list you know (laughs) (laughs) all right the next line here that i loved is from vic and just how he how uh sam rockwell delivered it because he's a man frank a man named skibo you know? um, yep, a man with needs it was that was actually uh when frank was upset that skee-ball was suddenly very abruptly having sex with someone on the hood of his car and uh, <laughs> i love vic like he cracks me up yeah uh this uh inter- this uh interchange between uh kevin and frank was good kevin says you get a room and frank's like fuck you get an apartment i mean <laughs> I, I I get that. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, like if you are an adult, if you're the parent in a house, you should say something like that to your kids. Um, I did think the resolution to the strike was a little too convenient, a little too um, much like a sitcom. I mean, they had to get there, I guess, but it felt like a little faster. It's like, I felt they could have even had like an additional episode or two, you know, talking about the severity of the strike. But if I had to, you know, have a prediction, I'm sure this is not the last time we'll be talking about a strike in this series. Um, And Vic's speech uh, at the end, did feel sitcommy, but Sam Rockwell as an actor was able to take that and and make it quite interesting. Similar to um, like Back to the Future when Doc Brown is giving exposition, but he's delivering it in such a way that's so entertaining, you're not realizing that you're just getting a whole list of information that you as the audience need to know. But you were going to say something. Oh no, just like right with you because it goes back to why I kind of struggled to talk about that whole strike thing there for a second. Was there was just a few things that pulled me out of it. I think again with a slightly different pivot with having a different thing that exacerbated that moment of the strike. 
And then it being a conversation like maybe it being in front of the airport employees. I think it being on the news was what made it very sitcom But I think they were kind of almost going for a It's a Wonderful Life feeling at that moment. I don't know. That was like the weird feeling I thought they were going for. Um, and it didn't fit entirely for me. But like a few pivots and it does make sense. So it's not the most off the wall storyline. But yeah, I'm right there with you. Like they've done so well at not making things feel forced that it kind of took me out of it a little extra when both of those things felt kind of forced and then kind of cheesy for it to be like on the news with the snow, like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, overall though, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I will find critique in anything, but that does not mean I did not like this episode or this season. I give them both a yay. I mean, um, you know, overall, uh, what notes did I have here? Like how could I not give it anything but a yay? I mean, not everything worked 100% for me uh, with each episode, but the season ends on a nice emotional conclusion while leaving a cliffhanger for the next season in regards to Frank job, Frank's job. And, and, you know, unlike big mouth that did have those individual episodes that, that didn't quite work. Like everything is here for a purpose and just what a hell of a season. Oh yes. Hands down. Agreed on that. I loved all of the little micro, like most of the episodes had an inclusive problem to be solved. That was short term while also introducing you to more long-term issues. Like the thing with the strike that led to him losing his job. Plus you've got Sue who does work now. (laughs) So that's going to be an interesting to play in, right? Because if Frank didn't like her getting a job when he was working, how do you think he's going to feel with her having a job and him being just fired? So there's a little bit of that, that they've really kind of got me invested at this point of seeing how this family is going to deal with putting on this brave face and trying to get through this together, especially because they do seem to have some dysfunctional elements to them. Indeed, indeed. But that will also bring us to the end of season one of the TNT review. Oh, those are supposed yeah. to be angels singing. I was going to go with the crowd cheering, but I don't know if the mic would pick that up. <laughs> well, I think that's more like. Ah, you know, well, we uh, have, uh, I've I certainly had a wonderful time, um, you know, recording season one here. And I think, you know, having the reviews on its own specific show um, kind of, you know, I, I think was the right call here. And I am excited uh, for season two. Now, unlike our other show, Friends Talking Nerdy, um, this is the, the TNT review is not going to have new episodes each and every week. We're going to um, take some time off to prepare season two, but we are looking at June 7th as the debut for season two of the TNT review. And in a, in a way to kind of shake things up. So we don't um, talk too much about one thing we're going for season two, we're going to be talking about a different show. Um, However, for future seasons of the TNT review, we will come back to F is for family, but season two, tell the folks at home what, what show we're going to be talking about. Well, I'm super excited because where we have, done big mouth now we are ready to go on to human resources which is the great spinoff and i love it because not spoiled too much since we're not going into it yet and i've already watched a lot of it with the mr reverend although we're still working our way through it which you know that's my preferred style i'm a binger and then i do like what that kind of tends to you know, lead into for the conversations with these shows. So I wanted to continue that. So we're binging through it now. And they said it best. It's like The Office meets Big Mouth. And I I mostly agree with that sentiment, but I'm super excited to get into the themes they get into. Some of it has already made it into mine and the Mr. Reverend's vernacular. Like if you haven't already seen any of the episodes yet, you won't know what I'm talking about, but I love Logic Rocks. We're already talking about Logic Rocks in our (laughs) day-to-day life, where when we can tell that somebody's like that the other one is trying to like lay out how we're thinking of something we have now started saying it's okay just give me your logic rocks like <laughs> I, I could take your logics i'm not an emotional state just give me your logic rocks <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so I'm super stoked to do this one because i do think it's interesting already the different characters that i'm starting to see 
and the different application of older characters like depression and postpartum depression, for example. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and I that I have not watched an episode as of yet. I, I obviously have, um, I, I've checked out like the trailers uh, and everything, so I, I'm definitely aware of stuff like the Logic Rocks. But I am um, definitely excited because of uh, you know I think back to our review of season five of Big Mouth and how much uh, we uh, you know great conversation we were able to get from that and that's more than anything what i'm excited for uh talking about human resources but again june 7th is when season two of the tnt review will drop and we will be talking about human resources yes like i said i'm super excited and if you want to watch it ahead of time if you haven't already super encourage it i'm almost done with it but i already kind of feel like even though it's had a little bit of like some spots where i was like eh, i don't know if this is gonna be good i think mostly they are pulling it off so i i definitely recommend watching it and then follow along with us as we review it in our nerdy ass way that we do Indeed. And we thank you all for listening and joining us on this journey here on the TNT Review. Um, Join us again on June 7th for season two. Um, But if you do want to hear our lovely voices again each and every week, remember we have another podcast called Friends Talking Nerdy that you can join us every Saturday. If you go to friendstalkingnerdy.com, you'll find out where to find that show and all the other shows on the Friends Talking Nerdy podcast network. Yep. And then, of course, we also have the Facebook group, which is kind of the place that we are more commonly sharing things now. If we do decide to devote more of our time to another platform, that's probably going to be one of the places we announce it. But we do try to share articles. We share our, our, our episodes as they come out and just kind of fun side nerdy information and, you know, shareables that we like to have conversations on in our group. And you can also find the link for that on friendstalkingnerdy.com. So all of our social media links are going to be there um, and all the other places that we're trying to create community as well, even though that is a really tough thing to do. (laughs) Oh, exactly. There's a lot of competition out there for community, but, you know, join us if you want to. We're, We're there to talk. Indeed. Indeed. Well, thank you all again for listening. And we will see you on June 7th for season two of the TNT Review. Happy viewing, guys.